Hey everybody, it's Kathy McNally. Welcome to Take the Mic. You know, I've been talking to candidates a lot for my podcast, and I would guess most of my guests have been women candidates for state office in Massachusetts. And what I've learned from them is so much. First of all, I've learned what inspired them to run, and so often it's this passion of feeling like they are done with things as they are. And that's exactly what my guest today, Sabrina Heisey, said that she decided to run because she is done with the status quo and the way things are are done in Massachusetts and the legislature. So she is going to talk about that. She's also going to talk about something I've noticed is a real trend with women candidates, probably first time women candidates, most of all. And that is showing up as who you are, understanding that you may not have 13 master's degrees or a PhD, you may not be a lawyer, but you have lived experience, you have knowledge, you have interest, and you have the will to go in there and work hard to change things. And Sabrina has got a really interesting story about her strengths and the challenges that she she deals with as she is in her race. So I totally enjoyed listening to Sabrina, and I remember one thing that she said, well, I remember everything that she said, but one thing that she said that stuck with me, then I hope it'll stick with you, is she said, women have to step forward and then step forward again. And you'll see what she means by that double step forward. Welcome to Take the Mic. And my guest today is Sabrina Heisey. I would love to hear, Sabrina, about how you learned as a kid to get talking and talk to people and what that experience was like for you. So when I was a child, and even actually to this day, I have a um, very lazy eye, despite patching and um, glasses, it still drifts. So I was really, really painfully shy as a child. Um, I had a lot of trouble talking to people because I was always worried about if my eye was actually looking at them or not. Um, but as I grew, I grew to sort of adapt my world around it. So I would, I would talk with, I became a hand talker, which is a very distracting thing for people. So they'd sort of focus away um, from my eye and just sort of move my head a lot. So it was learning to adapt to who I am and what I needed. But uh, even to this day, I still get pretty, pretty shy when it's one-on-one -on -one with people because I always feel like they're, they never know if I'm really looking at them. So I've, I've adapted as best as I can, but I'm not the only person in the world who has a lazy eye who has to learn to cope. And that is on the scale of problems that people are facing in this, in this state, like very small. So I try to keep that in perspective. <laughs> That must have been quite a journey as a kid, you know, learning to manage and learning to do the things with the hands, which seems to me so brilliant, you know, whether it's distracting or not, you decided, I guess what I'm hearing is you said, hey, I'm going to talk anyway, so I'm going to do something to make it manageable. Yeah, and, and I felt like, I mean, I am an extrovert in, in nature and I wanted to, but I had to come to the point where I, I knew what I needed to adapt to get over this or get through that that speaking because it was really difficult as a kid. You didn't I didn't want people looking at me. I didn't want strangers looking at me in the face. You know, you didn't want to try to hold attention long. So it was really about learning to adapt myself to the rest of the world. And they just have to, you know, adapt back. Yeah. 
Sabrina, that is the subject for a whole other book and podcast, I think, because that sounds really interesting. But I'm going to ask you, so then what happened as a teenager? Did you learn to speak more? When did you get to be more comfortable? And you did say that you were more comfortable speaking to very large groups. Is that right? How did that happen? So I realized, well, first, I I feel really passionately about things. So uh, at some point, I had to find my voice. I would say it sort of came gradually over time as I've grown in my, you know, my awareness of the world and in what needs to be discussed. Uh, I've become more vocal and vocal. And I have always found it actually more easier for me to speak to large groups because nobody in the audience is expecting you to hold their gaze. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas when you speak one-on-one to somebody, um, yeah. they actually do expect you to hold their gaze. So it's just been uh, easier for me. I'd rather, I always feel more comfortable speaking in front of 10,000 people where you're not expected to look anybody in the eye, as opposed to that just one-on-one interaction with people. That's just, it's, it's so much more personal. Yeah. So when running for office, you would rather have all the voters in a room so you could talk to them all at once, right? <laughs> That would make that would really make that would make all the traveling door to door a lot yes. easier actually if they could just all get in one room and let me just walk around that would that would save me a lot of time. Yeah, I suppose we can't organize that in a democracy. But <laughs> no, we do our best though to have events, but uh, mostly yeah. it's it's door to door. Well, tell us what you're running for. So I am running for state rep in the 36 Middlesex district, which is Drake and Tingsboro, right up on the southern New Hampshire border. Are you, I feel like I'm in court, are you or are you not also an elected representative in any other capacity, Ms. Heisey? I am, <laughs> I am currently elected to the Drake School Committee. I was elected last year. Um, I unseated a three-term incumbent, and this race I'm going after a 12-term incumbent. Whoa, whoa. So you mean just last year you you got elected? And what did you say? Yeah. I, I don't have enough to do. I have a full-time job and I have this election kid, so I want more. I mean, what happened that you went from school committee to want to run for state? So one, I think you have to know a little bit about my district first. Um, So our district has a long history of battles over Prop 2.5 overrides, which is basically if you want more tax money, either for your your police, your fire, or your schools, you have to have these override attempts to add extra operational dollars. Um, And that requires the political will. So we've had 13 attempts at overrides in my town and 13 failures. So uh, ever since they created Prop 2.5 at the state level, our town has not had the political will. It's certainly due to economy. We are right on the southern New Hampshire border. If you want to buy anything, you're going to New Hampshire. You know, we can't get the kind of economic development that people need to to have more local taxes. So we have we have a situation where we have really subpar quality of education. We have understaffed police and fire you know, we have what I would say is, you know, the fact that we have had significant change in the last 10 years is one of the reasons I wanted to run. But mm-hmm. um, once I got into the school committee and really looked at the budget, I think we're doing a good job locally on what we can do with what we have. Yeah. But we can't, you can't get blood from a stone. Right. So when I started really looking about what's going on in the state, we may be number one at taking a test in education, mm-hmm. but we are number 43 in providing the same quality of education as Lexington and Newton get in towns like Drake and Tingsboro. So we are really, really having some cities and towns, affluent cities and towns are having like really, really great education and others just are not. 
Uh, and that's just not what, you know, what we should be doing for our kids or our, and then ex extrapolate that out to our police, to our fire, to our DPW. You know, there's so many public services that are underfunded in areas like mine that are finally well-funded in other areas. And that's just not equitable. And I said, we need to tackle this. We have to stop fighting each other at the local level and start fighting each other at the state level to make sure that our kids you don't have to move to get your kid a high quality of education. So you want to work on the formula that, and we don't have to get too much into that, but you want to work on that formula that funds towns more equitably than based on um, municipal taxes. Is that, is that kind of what you want to do? Yeah, it's certainly, I think I'm more um, radical than what they're currently proposing on Beacon yeah. Hill. And that's one of the reasons I felt like I couldn't wait to run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even though I just got elected, if there's a chance they're going to update this formula now, um, they're not updating it in a way that's going to solve what I consider to be the real problem of inequity. Uh -huh. Their current proposal completely ignores that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just can't, we just can't wait. You know, we have too much riding on, on that formula and on other formulas and on other issues, you know, that are going on in this state. But that's just one. But that was the, the big one since I had been on the school committee and had seen what this is doing to us. Yep. Um, I felt like I had to I had to do it now, even though I just ran last year. Yeah, I see. So I want to talk about the what it required communication wise to take on. You ran against somebody who had been on the school committee for quite a while. And now you're taking on somebody. Did you say 12 terms? 12 terms, 24 years. Wow. And does that mean kind of often running unopposed? Uh, we haven't had a Democratic primary in this race since 2004. So often, often unopposed in the primary, a couple times on the, in the general, but yeah, yeah. Uh, many times unopposed. Yeah. So both times you were pretty much a political newcomer, except you might have been involved in other ways other than being elected, but you took on, so let's talk about your city council. I mean, sorry, school committee race. You took on somebody that was probably pretty entrenched and powerful. How did you decide to do it and how did you kind of get the was getting the sort of bravery and confidence to speak out because you're kind of really challenging somebody right so how did that happen for you both internal and then figuring out how to speak out in a in a way that was effective I decided to run before I even knew what I was going to run for so I think that's that's a that's a key moment it wasn't the Donald Trump election for me yeah um that made me want to run. I maybe it's because of where I live, um, and the political will of my town was to vote for Donald Trump. But I felt like I knew before that election that there's something significantly wrong in this country, and the only way to fix it is for people to get outside of their comfort zones and and do something. So, you know, I I'm doing this with a full time job. I can't afford to quit because I I carry the health insurance for my family. I have six children. I have, I don't have a law degree. I don't have an affluent family or friends network. What I have is a desire to have a better country and a backbone of steel. I'm not afraid to go up against challenge. I like a challenge. So um, I decided I was going to run. Uh, and then I started telling people I'm going to find something to run for. Mm -hmm. And somebody, somebody directed me towards um, Emerge, which is the training that teaches women how to run for office. Yeah. And I said, Great, sign me up. So I literally found out about Emerge one day before the application deadline for their training program. So I had, in one day, I had to get an application, get letters of reference, you know, like get in, you know, get get it in, and I did. And I think 
going through that program really gave me the the tools. So I went through that program at the same time I was running for school committee, you know, and, and, you know, I just, I just decided I was going to do it all. I don't believe that you can't have it all or do it all. So I'm going to do as much as I want anytime I want. And nobody's going to tell me not to, you know, my husband's like, you know, when I told my husband I was going to run for state rep, he was like, Oh, okay. Like, when did you decide that? I was like, today, today. He's like, (laughs) okay, you know, good, good. Have fun with that. Learning to speak out was it's partly something I learned at Emerge, but partly just pent up. Like, I'm just, I'm done. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm done with this. We do not have progressive leadership in Massachusetts, period. Mm-hmm. We may have, quote, democratic, but it's certainly not progressive. Yeah. You know, and if, if, if I need to give up a couple years or whatever decades of my life to mm-hmm to bring about change for real people, then, then yeah, I'll do that. But I think I, I found my voice later in life. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I didn't grow up thinking I'm a feminist. It took me a while to realize I needed to be, yep. uh, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, and, and as I, as I continue down this path, I just find myself more and more passionate about it. So I'm just more and more vocal about it. Right. Yep. And people want real life. They want real candidates. They want real people to represent them, not, you know, cookie cutter. You have to have a PhD. You have to have a law degree. You have to have this, you know, most people don't have that. And so they want representation that looks like them and, and has faced the challenges that they have faced so that when the moment comes to make a common sense decision, that's best for people that we have that somebody at the table who knows how to do that. So I'm just, I feel like I'm just fighting and, and getting over my own fears and anxieties of speaking out mm-hmm. um, just because I have to, because somebody has to, right? Like yeah. it, it is really challenging to take all your online, you know, arguing that you do with people. I mean, you think about that and, yeah. and then just take that and put all of your views on display for the whole world to see and yeah. they tear you apart. I mean, that is, that is, that is really hard to do. And that has been one of the biggest challenges for me is, you know, I do believe in these things and yeah, that's right. You're going to say all these things about me and I have to learn to just block them and ignore them and stick to what I believe regardless of what people say. So it's been a personal challenge for me to take everything I would be saying to my friends and everything I would be saying online and everything I would be feeling and suddenly to actually have to stand behind it for the whole world to judge has been a that has been a radical shift for me. That is something that is totally different between a school committee race, which yeah. is a local yeah. issues based race on school issues on, you know, on what's best for the, for the kids of the town. And yeah. that's a nonpartisan where nobody cares what I feel about immigration yeah. or taxes right. or, you right. know, to suddenly go into this partisan entrenched challenger race where it's, you know, the first moment I stepped up, it was literally like, how dare you? You know what I mean? Like there was such a backlash of, you know, negative emotion from people who, who, who maybe enjoy our current rep or maybe just weren't ready for me to continue to step forward. Right. So even people who had supported me for the first race yeah. did not support me for this race. Um, and that was hard. Right. So it became very personal and, um, but as time's gone on since I announced in February, it just, it just, I feel like I've, I've built a shield of, you know, armor that I need to, to, to make sure that I can continue to speak up as I feel like I need to without 
worrying about whether everybody's going to love it or not. You know, you can't take an opinion poll on everything. It sounds like you may have come in with a sort of way of, you know, maybe, you, you know, you were sensitive like any of us would be to online onslaughts or insults, et cetera, but you've developed a thicker skin. So you haven't let it get to you, although I'm sure it it's, can be tough at times and maybe it does get to you a little bit. Uh, you know, I, it depends. It depends on who it is. If it's somebody who is never, ever going to vote for me, but they also never vote, you know, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like, okay, well, that's your own personal opinion that, you yeah. know, you come to judge people on if they're even going to vote either way, right? They may hate everything you stand for, but they may never vote in a primary. So right. you kind of learn to balance that in your head of like, you're talking to somebody right now who is not your voter, right? So their opinion matters, but it shouldn't hurt you. But, you know, when you're talking to voters, that's when you need to persuade them. I don't need to persuade John Smith, who it doesn't live in my district or lives in my district, but has never even registered to vote. So it's, it's helping to parse out when am I a candidate and when am I just a person again? Yeah, it gives you a really good filter. So you're not wasting your passion on people that it's not going to help anyway. So that's right. In challenging situations, are they mostly, do you sort of get disagreements online or one-on-one? How does, how does it happen and, and how do you respond? And, I'm, you know, we don't have to just focus on disagreements because I'm sure tons of people are very supportive. I will, oh, yeah. I will say the hardest for me as a person is when I'm reading conversations online that I'm not even involved in, but they're, like, discussing me. Yeah. Or discussing like that's the, you know, if I'm talking to my friends or family, you have to think about social media as like, it's like your audience. You know what I mean? Like I post pictures of my kids because my parents live in Florida. My dad can't travel. That's why I started posting so many pictures of my kids online because they don't, all they know how to do on Facebook is open it. My mom will, (laughs) will actually type the word like, like she doesn't know to click the button. So like my parents have, my dad's never texted. He's never sent an email. He knows how to do none of that stuff. Um, But I want them to see the kids because they're so far away. So, you know, I post a lot of, and you start to think of it like an audience, right? Like these aren't, you know, and you, you think of it that way. and, And I don't mind when it's on my wall, you have the power to, to see and not see whatever you want. Um, and I, and I generally try to avoid things on my opponent's pages because there's two, there's actually a, an opponent in the primary and then one in the general. Yeah. I let them do their thing. They're talking to their supporters. I'm talking to my supporters. But I would say it's when you are in, you know, just sort of casually scrolling through and you see people, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, discussing you or your race or people will comment on, on news articles and, and you may or may not know them. That is the hard part is reading either they just, flat out make stuff up or there's just visceral hatred sometimes and you gotta it's hard not to internalize it yeah. but you yeah. know it's, it's part of I guess it's part of public life this sort of hatred you know or love depending on who you are and what you stand for yeah um, so that that's personally you know I'm a person I yeah. want I have feelings yeah. I don't want to read horrible stuff about myself on the internet you know like right right <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds like that's been one of the harder parts. Well, tell me about the other elements. Have you had a debate or forum, I guess? Mostly they're, they're forums. Is that right? That's what we have here. So my opponent has refused to participate um, in anything other than one debate 
days before the election only by a newspaper that will be endorsing her. So we've tried to negotiate. We've sent letters. We've sent emails. And she is not at all interested. But I think if I held her views of transphobic, racist views and anti-immigrant and, you know, anti-woman I, I maybe wouldn't want to debate either, but I think the quieter it stays when you're going up against an incumbent, the better for them, the yeah. louder I can make it, the better for me. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, my goal is to push the issues, push the envelope, and we may only get one form at the end, but it will be the most anticipated from all the buildup. And uh, if that's the best we can do, then great. But I, I will say in the school committee race, the debate, there was two debates. Well, there's one forum and one debate. Yeah. The forum was, very nicey nice. It was only like 15 minutes of you answer a question, I answer a question. There was no going back and forth. Yeah. But when it came to the debate, which was less than a week before the election, mm-hmm. um, I tripped up my opponent in a way that significantly swayed a lot of voters at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about charter school funding. Yeah. Now, this person had sat on the school committee for nine years, for three full terms, had sat on the finance subcommittee, right, had been chair. And uh, he said, well, if charter schools started getting public education money, we would have a problem. And I just leaned into my microphone and I said, charter schools already get public education funding. Like, charter schools are publicly funded schools. And I clipped it. I clipped that little 30-second mm-hmm. slot, and I sent it out to the world, mm-hmm. and I let people know, this is what you've got. You know, this is, this is who is representing you, somebody who does not know how the funding formula works for your children. Yeah. Um, and I got a lot of people be like, you know what, I wasn't going to vote for you. But then I can't vote for him because he doesn't know anything about the funding. So, so I was able to trip, uh, trip him up in a way at the end that I think really benefited me. So maybe my current opponent knows that oh, <laughs> and, doesn't want, and doesn't want to get tripped up. I don't know, but um, yeah. I, I look forward to it. It's going to be a lot of pressure since it's the only one and it's right at the end. So then how do you, so you, you have to depend on door to door or how do you get your message out? So uh, we are truly grassroots. We are hitting the doors you know, as hard as we can Mm -hmm. um, with myself, my husband, six children and our volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a, it is a day-to-day grind (laughs) to get home from work. Yeah. You get home and what do you do? Go out? Well, I get home from work. I have to see my children for a few minutes. I have to feed them dinner, Yeah, you know, and then um, as quickly as I can get that done and anything else I need to get done, you know, we might cut a small turf Mm-hmm. and separate my husband will go do this one and I'll take some kids and go do that one. So it, it really depends on the night, but it is a daily grind to get there, but I'm yeah. not going to miss a chance to, no. to, to take this. And that means you have to be willing to do all the work. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so we just do the best we can. And, and I think, I mean, between as it started out, just me and my husband and the kids, but I mean, gosh, people are, people are showing up now. There is a lot of people who, who have now heard about it, mm-hmm. right? Are now interested in it and can't wait to come help in any way that they can. So um, the volunteers has gone crazy because people are finally like yeah. so excited to have an alternative choice. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a pro-choice, pro-LGBTQ, pro-gun control candidate in this district ever because even the one in 04, was more of a conservative leaning Democrat. And uh, we just, people have said, 
you know, I graduated high school and I've never had a chance to vote for anybody who represents my values. So um, people are really excited and Mm -hmm. they're coming out of the woodwork. So this is great. Oh, great. And how do you feel about those door-to-door conversations? Do you enjoy those? Did you have to sort of gear up for them? What's that like? So I guess I'll get a little personal. That's all right. Um, So I have have, um, six kids, two adopted, and then um, I have one set of twins. So I've been pregnant three times. My first pregnancy went okay, but after what I started developing some anxiety, which runs in my family, a lot of my family has it. Um, And then after my twin pregnancy, it just, I became more anxious. Mm-hmm. I, I would, you know, very like, it wasn't just hormonal either. It would, once the hormones were settled and the breastfeeding was over, I'd still feel anxiety. My mother says she swears it's because now you have something to be anxious over, which is your children. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that's true. But yeah. uh, after my last child, it, it's just, uh, you just, as I'm, as I'm growing, I'm learning to accept I do have a general anxiety disorder, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so it takes me a couple of doors every single time to get into the groove of feeling comfortable. Yeah. Um, because you, as you're approaching it, your heart starts to beat right yep. really fast. You start feeling sweaty. Yep. I've got children who are being children as I'm yeah, taking yeah, yeah, right. them with me. So yeah. they're yeah. so they're fighting over who's going to hit the door hanger. They're <laughs> They're playing in the ladies' flowers when they need to get off the lawn, you know. So um, I feel, you know, every time I go out, you have to start over again with feeling like, oh, God, I'm approaching somebody, right? And this is also a really divisive race, right? So there's a lot of people who are so excited, but there's also a lot of doors slammed in your face, right? So um, I had to explain to my children when somebody, more than one person actually at this point has called you know, me a baby killer in front of my children. Oh boy. Um, or, boy. Oh, right. So, so, so just understanding that I have to get over my anxiety and I also have to be on alert for what are my kids hearing. Right. Um, so, so it's every time. So when I go out tonight, that first door, I will not walk up to, yeah. I will, you know, feel that feeling and I have to, I've learned to cope with it. Yeah. I've learned to understand that this is who I am. And I also know that I can get over it and get through it, but it has been something that um, I was diagnosed with after my pregnancies. It makes sense. It runs in the family. Yeah. Um, being in public service, I feel like I should write a book called Running for Office with Anxiety. Yeah. Um, but but uh, who would read it? <laughs> I don't know. But um, But I think it's something that it's okay to acknowledge that we face these challenges and that when I walk up to a door tonight, I know I will feel that way. And I also know, I know what coping skills I need to use to get through that because it's so important to change the direction of this district, this state, this country, that it's not about me and what I'm feeling. It's about everybody else who needs somebody to stand up for them. And that helps me kind of get through it. But yeah, I will, I will jitter right before I start tonight. Every night I do. Well, Sabrina, that is a fantastic story. I thank you so much for sharing it because it talks about what people really are. And when I, there was a great article that I read and shared on Twitter about women are showing up as candidates as they are. There is none of this. Well, I'm sure not everybody, but there is a sense of, no, I don't have a thousand master's degrees and I'm not perfect and I'm a regular person who is brave enough 
to sort of deal with this problem that, you know, maybe part of me would rather not go knocking on doors, but it's so important that I'm doing it. I think that's going to be very inspirational uh, to people that are listening and other women, because people, especially women, right, we find all kinds of ways to take ourselves out of risky situations, or I mean, leadership situations, we find reasons why we're not qualified. And here you are every night doing something that feels a little scary, and you're teaching yourself and you've taught yourself how to do it. So and I'm showing my kids how to do it. Yeah, because they have to, you know, they so proud of you. Oh, my. God. <laughs> uh, the little kids think it's trick or treating, to be honest. Yeah. They, they, people give them candy. Yeah. They <laughs> knock on doors, not everybody, but there's yeah. a lot of really nice people who will give them candy, but my oldest kids are teenagers yeah. and they want nothing to do with this. Yeah. So maybe they'll be proud later. Oh yeah. Yeah. As we close up, I would love to hear about your advice for other women who are thinking of running, but maybe don't feel like they're the best speakers or they have issues with their speaking. What advice would you give to those women? I would say take a training if you feel like it's a skill you want to develop, even if it's just, even if you think you have it, it still helps to get some feedback from people. Uh, I would also say that you don't have to be the perfect public speaker. You don't have to have no nerves, right? You can have nerves. You can have um, not the perfect speech. You can have an accent that's difficult to understand. You can have a history or a speech impediment or anything but if you're not using your voice and what we need is your voice and your passion and your commitment, um, we don't need everything to be perfect, right? But we need you. So whatever you're facing about thinking about it and not stepping forward, we need you to, to, to step forward because there's a lot of people struggling and you can help. So I would say, look at the person in the mirror, decide this is for you. And understand, you'll never be perfect. It'll never be perfect. But you can make the difference by using your voice to step forward. And then I would say, step forward again. Because we can get a lot of women to run for school committee. But mm -hmm. we need a lot of women to run for, for state senate and congress. And we've never had a female governor. So, yeah, we need, we need you to step forward for that, too. So you can't just step forward once and say, I've done my part. We need you to keep on serving people. Because public service is about serving people. It's not about you being perfect. So take the first step and then take the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth until we have full women leadership, at least half, if not more of this country everywhere. So get over it and, and understand that it's, it's for people that you're doing it. That is so beautifully put. Wow, that is really great. Hey, Sabrina, so if people want to find out more about you or support you, get involved, where should they go? So my website is sabrinaheisey.com, H-E-I-S-E-Y. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can Snapchat me, um, and I would love to have anybody support. Okay, and remind us again your race and the towns that are involved. Uh, the 36th Middlesex District, which is Dracut and Tingsboro, and the election is on September 4th. And that's that crazy Tuesday after Labor Day, right? Ugh. 
such a bad day, so we'll have to make a special effort. Well, Sabrina, Heisey, thank you so much for talking. I just love the way you expressed yourself and thought you were so clear and just, I'll be thinking about you tonight. You know, I knock on doors for other candidates and I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a little bit different because I'm not the candidate, but yeah, you got to psych yourself up and you're going to help me to continue doing it. So good luck with your race, Sabrina. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. I love talking to Sabrina Heisey because she's a very motivated, inspiring, and passionate candidate who has a lot of ideas and who is willing to go out there and put them out there no matter what the response is, and also fighting her own uh, maybe challenges about speaking out and making sure that she does it. And her story about canvassing with six kids has got to make you stop complaining about whatever you have to do. But I have to admit, one of my favorite parts of this story was not one of the most profound parts, although there are many. It was the sweet story that Sabrina told about her mom looking at pictures of her grandchildren on Facebook and typing in the word like, L-I-K-E. I thought that was so sweet. So thanks, Sabrina, for talking to me. And if you want to catch up with Sabrina Heisey and find out more about her campaign, you can go to her website. So if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends. You can find my podcast for Take the Mic on my website at womenspeakup.org and on iTunes and Stitcher. And hey, ladies, no matter if you're canvassing, running for office, feeling insecure, feeling really strong, no matter what, don't forget, take that mic.